This is Eye on Education on the Agenda. With the Royal Grammar School Guildford Dubai. Passionate about creating personalised learning experiences to nurture independent and future-ready young people. Hello there and thank you for downloading this Eye on Education podcast from the 17th of March. And on the show today, the cost of private education in the UAE is going up, at least in Dubai and Sharjah. School meals are also likely to rise. But what about extracurricular activities? We spoke to sports provider Joe Terry, who's the owner of ISM Sports. Plus, over three years ago, nearly exactly, schools closed because of the pandemic and distance learning became the norm. But is it still popular three years later? We'll find out with Mark Donoghue, who's the CEO of Inspired Online Schools. They teach over 70,000 students in over 100 countries. Plus, as schools across the UAE celebrate Global Recycling Day, we spoke to one company keen to encourage schools to put their money where their mouth is when it comes to environmental integrity. We spoke to the founder and CEO of CAPES, an eco-friendly uniform supplier, Matt Benjamin. And what would it be like to row across the Pacific Ocean? We spoke to two of the four-men crew of Brothers and Oars ahead of their extraordinary mission. This is Eye on Education on the Agenda with the Royal Grammar School, Guildford, Dubai. Hello there. Yes, welcome to our special schools programme, Eye on Education, which we host every single week from Friday 11am all the way through till 1pm. It is our chance to put a special focus on learning, whether that's in nurseries and schools, universities or even higher education. Please do feel free to join our conversation. Uh, it's 4001 is the text or you can WhatsApp us on 04871 Two big topics on the programme today, uh, three years after those COVID pandemic restrictions came into force, uh, when distance learning became the norm, children were sent home from schools for six months here in the UAE, actually six months in Dubai, I think it was a little bit longer in Abu Dhabi. We are looking at the trend of homeschooling. If you are homeschooled, if you tried it out, if you're still doing it, even post pandemic, we'd love to hear from you. So please do join the conversation. Other hot topic is, of course, rising school costs for parents. I'm joined in the studio now by producer Jennifer Crichton to get a little bit of a roundup of the top headlines that we've seen over the last seven days in the schools arena, the education arena. And yes, as we've just been reporting, the cost of private schooling is going to go up in Dubai and Sharjah in the new academic year. What do you have for us on that, Jen? That's right. So the Emirates School authorities say they've taken account of inflationary pressures and for the first time in four years, schools are going to be able to hike their fees. Now, it's a varying rate of between 3 and 6% depending on the performance of the school and which emirate you're looking at, whether it's Dubai or Sharjah. Now, speaking on the agenda as the news broke in Dubai, Susan Roberts from Which School Advisor said the hike was expected, even if not entirely welcomed by parents. Parents, perhaps they have to be pragmatic about it and understand what's been going on economically and, and globally and, and the challenges that will face for a variety of sectors and businesses, including schools, if we do want to continue to have high-quality provision in the UAE, if we want it to continue to grow, which is certainly what the KHDA wants in line with expected population increases here, then perhaps this is 
Meanwhile, meanwhile, it is not just school fees that are going to go up for parents. Earlier this week, we spoke to Magnus Mumby here on the agenda. He is General Manager for Food Nation Catering Services, LLC, which currently provides meals for 46 schools in the Emirates. All other food providers have put their prices up, so I would imagine, yeah, prices in schools will increase. But, I mean, that would be an increase of, say, one beer we make between 25 and 30,000 meals, snacks, sandwiches and salads a day. So a very small increase of the natural bills has a huge impact across the board, but it wouldn't be noticed on the ground. Now, we'll be returning to this topic later in the show. We're going to be asking what other rising costs should we all be bracing ourselves for? And obviously, this is a hot topic among parents. We'd love to hear uh, your response to it. Now that sort of the the news has percolated in for Dubai and Sharjah. Uh, we'd love to hear from you what you think about those school fees going up. Now, of course, it is the first time in four years. They have been frozen for four years. Uh, but nevertheless, as Susan Roberts suggested, you know, while parents have to be pragmatic, I'm not sure we really want to be because I don't want my school fees to go up. It's kind of a terrifying thought, isn't it? I can understand the argument in favour from the school's perspective, but as parents, the idea that this is the the start of everything going up is is kind of terrifying. It is. I mean, we really have tried to get uh, any of the school groups to come on the radio to talk to us. And there's various reasons that they've given to us for why they're not available. And and some of them are fair, uh, to be honest. <laughs> uh, some of them are fair. For example, they don't know whether they can put their school fees up yet. You have to apply to the KHDA or to Sharjah's Educational Authority. So in some ways, they can't go, yes, we're going to put them up because of X, Y and Z, um, because... They don't know whether they're going to be able to. GEMS, of course, came out with their statement where they suggested that in the situations where they were able to put up their fees, they would be passing that on to their teachers, which was a very clever line indeed. Yes. And of course, that has left a lot of teachers as well wondering just whether they're going to be seeing a pay rise coming up. And there's a knock-on effect as well for a lot of the people who are supplying our schools, whether it's school meals, whether it's school buses, whether it's extracurricular activities, as we'll be hearing about later. The school's fees then impact down the line. So until the schools set those fees, a lot of those providers are also unable really at this point to say how big a rise we might be looking at for all of those other costs around schools. But... I think the general feeling is that we're we're expecting this to kind of cascade down the line as as we move through the next few months. Yes. Yes, I think everything could go up. Mm. Let's hope it doesn't. Let's let I don't want to be that person on the radio that says it and then it happens. You know how uh, economic pundits have to be very careful <laughs> with how they pitch things because if too many people follow what they say, you know, if, if too many polit- if too many economic pundits say there's a recession coming, then ultimately the recession probably will come, but I don't think that quite works the same here on the agenda. <laughs> if we say that we think things are going to get more expensive, I don't think they necessarily will. Okay, let's uh, move on topics for the moment because of course Ramadan is very far approaching. We are mm, just under a week away now from the introduction of those reduced school hours. Now, some pupils have also been given permission to study from home on Fridays, haven't they? That's right. Students at government-run schools and universities across the Emirates are to be given permission to study from home throughout the holy month, providing it doesn't interfere with their exam schedules. Now, this applies to public schools only. No similar measures have been suggested for private schools at the moment. The change will go along Alongside reduced school hours during the rest 
rest of the week and it will also apply to around 70% of federal government employees. Officials say the initiative is aimed at helping families and residents to observe social traditions throughout Ramadan. Good news is, uh, from my perspective at least, that two weeks of Ramadan falls more or less over the school holidays, the spring holidays. So I won't be having to go to pick up the children. I won't have to helter-skelter drive from work to go and get the children uh, straight after my radio show. So that's good news for me. Um, I imagine it, like, st- uh, that's sort of indicative of how difficult Ramadan hours can be for working parents who don't get to go home early. Um, obviously, it's a it's a time to be with your family. So if, if you have that opportunity, it's wonderful. Uh, but sadly, so many of us just work a normal day during Ramadan now that uh, it can prove a little bit tricky for working mothers and fathers. Now, we'll also, as I mentioned earlier, be discussing homeschooling today. But it seems it's not only school age pupils who are increasingly benefiting from remote and hybrid learning because a significant conference in Dubai has been discussing whether online degrees could hold the key to addressing skills and employment gaps in the UAE. Tell me more. Yes, so officials at the remote conference in Dubai are not suggesting that online degrees could replace traditional ones altogether. But according to a panel yesterday, learning institutes which are based online are responding more effectively to the changing educational climate and to the changing needs of the the employment market than perhaps some traditional institutions are. And now plans are afoot to partner physical universities in the UAE with online educational providers that offer specialised or so-called micro credentials that aim to address skills and employability gaps in the local market. Meanwhile, a pilot project at Zayed University will also see students matched with companies right from their first semester, providing them with real-world experience to boost their employability when they do go on to leave university. So it looks as though that sort of hybrid model that we'll be discussing later with regards to homeschooling is starting to creep into the higher and further education sector as well a bit. Interesting stuff. Uh, Staying with higher education for the moment, because I believe we're going to be getting a new music institute here in the UAE. That's right. A new flagship centre for musical learning is to be built in Sharjah. The institute, the plans for which were unveiled yesterday, will specialise in classical, Arab and world music. And it will teach classes in everything from technique to instrumental skills to composition. It will be known as the College of Music. And it's part of a major expansion of the Sharjah Performing Arts Academy. Academy, which is already in existence. Now, this project will now see the creation of an 1,100-seat music hall, recording studios, rehearsal rooms and a specialist musical library. So it's a real expansion over there. Okay, reading ahead in your script slightly, very naughty of me, but I'm glad we're tackling this because I have been pondering the answer myself over recent days. And perhaps uh, people listening have noticed as well because the words March 15th, ECD, appeared on the top of your mobile phone screen over recent days. Now, normally I'm quite good at guessing what these things mean. Can you explain what it is? (laughs) Yeah, it piqued the curiosity of a few of us in the newsroom over the past few days. If you hadn't noticed, the name of whatever provider you're with, the Tisalat, Do or Virgin, your network's name will have been replaced with that text that Georgia mentioned, March 15 ECD. And it is, in fact, in recognition of Emirati Children's Day, which took place on Wednesday. Now, that's an annual day which is designed to raise awareness about children's rights and emphasise that the UAE's young people should be allowed to grow up in kind, healthy and supportive homes and communities. It was first celebrated in 2018 following a directive issued by Sheikha Fatima, the mother of the nation. 
always a big focus on young people and youth in this country. Really, whenever I go to these sort of government press conferences or, you know, the the announcements of government strategies, there's a real focus on on youth and how not just providing things for young people, but also you know, bringing them into the government structure. They want the input of young people. They want their views and, and they listen to them. It's, it's really interesting. It's not just lip service. They really listen to them. Fascinating stuff. Thank you very much for outlining our top education headlines for this week. This is Eye on Education on the Agenda. With the Royal Grammar School Guildford Dubai, passionate about creating personalised learning experiences to nurture independent and future-ready young people. And it might have passed you by without you noticing, but it is nearly exactly three years now since schools in the UAE closed to prevent the spread of COVID-19. Now, distance learning was introduced on the 8th of March. It was originally intended to last two weeks, but understandably, it lasted six months, with schools reopening in September. Now, during that time, schools made the transition to teaching online. I mean, it really was remarkable how quickly they managed to do it. Uh, It worked for some pupils. Uh, If you were in my family, you would agree it did not work for us at all. Like it was really difficult, I think, for a lot of parents, uh, not just in the UAE, but across the wider world, because schools around the world closed. Now, all the children who attend physical schools in the UAE are now back full time. Dubai went back in September. Like I said, Abu Dhabi, it took a little bit longer for everyone to be back. Uh, And then I think distance learning was officially closed by 20, I think it was probably March 2021, around that time. And it certainly feels now like we've moved into a post-pandemic era. You know, we don't have masks or social distancing anymore. But we're interested to know, you know, whether there are any legacy trends off the back of the pandemic. In particular, today, we're going to look at the field of homeschooling. So I'm delighted to say I'm joined now on the line by Mark Donoghue. He is the CEO of Inspired Online Schools. They have over 70,000 students in over 100 countries virtually attending their schools, and they do all sorts of other things as well. Uh, But it's lovely to have you join us on the line. Mark, how are you? I'm very well, thank you. How are you? Very well indeed as well, which is good. It's Friday here. It's Friday for you as well, but it's Friday at one midday is basically the start of the weekend for a lot of people here in the UAE. So we're on the warm up to the weekend. Now, I've got a very important question for you because I I like a trend. I like a legacy trend. Uh, I like a theme. And I'm hoping that you're going to tell me that there is a theme in this. If, if not, then we've got a bit of a problem for the rest of the programme, <laughs> to be honest. Uh, I mean, let's start with the sort of fundamentals. Did you notice an increase in demand for your schools, your homeschooling, basically, during the pandemic? I mean, I presume the answer to that is yes. It is a very clear yes. Um, it was it was an enormous increase, actually. It was very, very difficult to deal with because we we run online schools that are built around the interaction between a human teacher and, uh, and students. Um, and so you've got to have teachers in place to be able to cope with the demand that COVID created. Um, you know, we, we're an online school. Kings into High is the name of our school. And we're, uh, we're designed for online rather than being a, a reaction to the pandemic. We've actually been going 17 years. So 
um, what we saw was sort of 2019. You know, there's been there's been growth in demand for homeschooling prior to the pandemic. We then saw this massive spike during the pandemic. And actually, enough people have decided it's worked for them. I, I hear that it may not have worked for you and your family, but enough people have found that it worked for them that we've seen growth the other side of the pandemic. So people who identify as, as homeschoolers, you know, providing compulsory primary or secondary education at home to uh, to children. We've seen an overall growth of about 25% since the pandemic. Um, that's after that spike. Um, and then in the Gulf region, actually, we've seen a higher growth rate. Um, it's, it's more like 30% in the Gulf. That is very interesting that that ho- that sort of trend is holding. It must be noted, I have two young boys, one was four and one was five. And as a consequence, homeschooling was something of an anathema. Also, our school didn't do that online teaching as such. They sent the materials right. over. And in some ways, I think we were expected to somehow persuade them to teach, to learn, which was impossible. Uh, and, and that is unfortunately a familiar story. Yes, I can imagine. I mean, I'm interested to know that the, the trend is, seems to be holding even more in the Gulf. You know, are there particular regions where you have more pupils? Yeah, we, so, so we started out with British curriculum, um, just to a sort of UK time zone. Um, and despite only having a UK time zone, so kids who were studying from the Gulf having to do it sort of time shifted a bit, you know, they'd be starting, you know, in the next hour uh, normally in terms of Dubai time. Um, and, and, and so we've, we've basically got different groupings of people for whom we work. Um, so you've got uh, groupings of people who are globally mobile families. You know, they're moving every six, 12, 18 months and they don't want to uproot their child's education year in, year out. So we provide a consistent academic academic education for them. Um, Then you've got um, uh, sort of kids who are following a dream. They may be on a pathway to elite sports or budding actors and actresses, and they can organise their education around their other commitments with homeschooling and online schooling. Um, And that just, you know, makes it easier. It's more flexible for them to be able to follow their passions. We have a large group of um, uh, of kids for whom physical school just doesn't really work for some reason. And that might be because they're highly gifted and they want to go faster. Um, you know, it's a lot easier to be a 12 year old in a classroom of 15 year olds virtually than it is um, in a physical classroom. But it may also be for more troubling reasons. You know, there's been a rise in anxiety and mental health before the pandemic, but then accelerated by the pandemic. So we've definitely seen reasons um, around that for the for the increase um, that we've seen. But you know, we also work very well for some uh, special education needs such as Asperger's or, or ASD. And then finally, which is uh, perhaps speaks to some of the Dubai or, or wider Gulf experience, certainly um, for families who don't who want to access an international education. Um, they want an international curriculum, but they don't have uh, an international school on their doorstep or if they do, it's full or even if it's not full, it may be unaffordable. Um, so so we serve a, a wide variety of people. And I think all of those um, uh, all of those things have risen. Plus, as homeworking rather than homeschooling has become more of a thing. Um, if your children are older than four or five and maybe a little more independent, um, then it, it can fit a lifestyle. 
Um, so, yeah, we've seen growth for a whole range of different reasons. Really interesting. I mean, I've heard that schools in Singapore at the moment, for example, are full. English speaking schools are completely full. So you can imagine in that situation, you would need to then turn to potentially online schooling like a, like what you provide. How about the ages of pupils? Are there trends there as well? Yeah, that's a really interesting question. So we don't actually provide um, <clears throat> primary schooling to four or five year olds for some of the reasons that you would have experienced, which is they don't yet have the capability for, for independent study in the way that's necessary <clears throat> for some aspects of homeschooling. Um, but we've seen growth across the board. I think in the Gulf, the largest growth has been between the ages of 11 to 16. Um, so what we call in British curriculum key stage three and key stage four. So that journey towards GCSEs and then onwards to A-level. Um, we provide British curriculum, but in the sixth form, we also provide the world's first totally online um, international baccalaureate diploma. So we've seen growth in that as well. Um, and, and in the Gulf, particularly because we launched, ha having started just sort of UK time zone, we launched a Gulf standard time timetable so that people wouldn't have to study out of out of time um, in quite the same way. Really interesting stuff. Uh, Mark, I've got to go to the news now, but can I keep you on the line for the next two or three minutes? Because I'd really like to talk to you about what the benefits of homeschooling are from your perspective. I mean, obviously, you know, it's what you do, so you're going to think it's good. But I'd like to hear why you, you think it's good. Uh, we are mid-conversation with Mark Donoghue. He is the CEO of Inspired Online Schools, which includes over 70,000 students in over 100 countries. Alice has got in touch saying, is there any data on the overall effectiveness of homeschooling? I found it very difficult. That's the message uh, from Al. And then we've got several other uh, messages coming in. Hadia has messaged in saying that she is a homeschooling mother of two. She's active in two groups uh, and it seems to be working very well for them but we'll get more comments on that in the next few minutes we'll continue our conversation with mark just for a few minutes if that's okay this is eye on education on the agenda on dubai i'm 103.8 this is eye on education on the agenda with the royal grammar school guildford dubai passionate about creating personalized learning experiences to nurture independent and future ready young people hello there welcome back to eye on education georgia here with you till one, and it is nearly exactly three years since the schools in the UAE closed to prevent the spread of COVID-19. Uh, now, originally, it was thought they'd stay closed for a couple of weeks, uh, but in fact, they ended up staying closed for six months. And I am keen, as always, I think journalists, this is sort of part of our DNA, to look for these sort of legacy trends that may have percolated through into general society as a consequence of you know, schools basically closing their doors here for six months. And one of the sort of obvious things to look at was homeschooling. And that is why we are currently mid-conversation with Mark O'Donoghue. Now, he is the CEO of Inspired Online Schools, which includes over 70,000 students in over 100 countries uh, virtually attend their schools. They've seen growth in the UAE, which cheers me up enormously because that means we have a legacy trend. I kept Mark on the line, though, because there were a couple of questions I had left for you. Thank you very much for sticking with us, incidentally. Hello again. No problem. No problem. Hello again. Yes, hello again. Uh, I mean, we talked now about how, uh, you know, you, you've still seen 25% more inquiries in the last year or so, which shows that, you know, more more people have understood the concept of homeschooling and perhaps are considering it. And we've also sort of outlined the reasons for why it might suit certain families. 
but I have to say, that, and I went to a normal school. In fact, I went less normal, actually. I went to a boarding school, which in many ways people wouldn't think was normal. So for me, the idea of not being within the school gate, not being within that community is something of an anathema to me. I, I, I would always prefer, I think, to, to be within the school gates. And, and as a consequence, I've chosen it for my children. But do you see benefits to homeschooling that you might not get within the normal sort of format? Sorry if I'm using the word normal naughtily. That, that's OK. Mainstream, I think, is Mainstream. what we, uh, we often refer to it internally. There we um, go. I thought there might be a, a, better, a better phrasing. I think um, <clears throat> so. So th- three answers, um, I think. One is about um, how it can work academically for kids. So I, I should say that we are much more than just academic learning. We have a full pastoral curriculum and we have over 100 clubs that kids take part in. So it's a very social experience, um, even if it isn't that face-to-face experience. So if I just if I speak to the academics first, um, our results are 50% better than the UK average for GCSEs, for example. Um, and one of the reasons why uh, that is uh, the case is that when you study online, you have much greater flexibility So um, you can access the recordings. If you didn't get something first time, you can go back and look at it again and and sort of dive into it again. We also have a personalized learning platform that uses some artificial intelligence in order to be able to show kids different things dependent on their current understanding. So we might be talking about Boyle's Law and Georgia, you're absolutely nailing it. So you see some extension content, it'll take your learning further. Whereas Mark, I'm not quite getting it. And so I need to look at some consolidation content that's going to help me to grasp the basics and then move forward. So it, it, it is less cookie cutter in the way that we do our academic learning than would be the case in, um, in a mainstream um, school. So academically, we work really well. Socially, to your point, um, as I say, we have a really rich pastoral curriculum. All of our kids are in classes of, uh, they're in forms of up to 20 kids and they have a form tutor and they all get to know one another really well. So that's one sort of community. There's, there are other communities around interest groups. So we have lots of, uh, lots of clubs from virtual reality tech explorers club to chess club to environmental sustainability club you know literally if you could name something we've probably got a club for it and that really fuels kids interests and passions and they bond around those communities um so so we provide a really rich social experience and we are developing the whole child at king's into high not just academic learning um and then i think the third part to your point about sort of face-to-face interaction, families who choose online schooling are doing so actively. And so they will be working hard with the extra time and the extra flexibility that an online school has given to be able to find face-to-face experiences for their children. So they're not missing out on, you know, what you might think of as normal normal socialization. And you know, it is, it is an important part of uh, a child's overall development, but it's perfectly possible to be able to blend all of those things for a, from a more optimal experience. Really interesting stuff there. I have also learnt how to use the word mainstream, which I will be doing as as our conversation uh, progresses forward. Thank you very much indeed. Really lovely to have you join us on the line. Mark O'Donoghue there, the CEO of Inspired Online Schools. Uh, They've got 70,000 students in over 100 countries. They have seen uh, inquiries for them. Their schools increase by 25% over the last year, indicating, in my view, that there is something of a, a legacy from the pandemic, a legacy from those months of what I found awful 
distance learning, but obviously other people must have quite enjoyed, including this lovely mother that's just got in touch with us here. Uh, the names have disappeared. Let's have a look. Um, Hadia, yes, saying that uh, we actually get together. We have active communities with monthly meetups. She's a homeschooler uh, where our children get together for book clubs, weekly science co-ops, uh, and they all join efforts. All the mums join efforts to put together different sessions within the varied topics covered in science, as well as arts and other subjects, classes, at learning centres with licensed teachers. So it sounds really interesting that um, if you are involved in homeschooling, you can still be part of a community. Now, uh, producer Jen- for Crichton to join me in the studio because what's interesting is that we know people in our in our collegial collegial anyway our colleagues some of our (laughs) colleagues have been homeschooled haven't they yes absolutely and we have been speaking to Mohammed who is um, normally here doing our sport but yesterday we were quizzing him I would say about his own experiences with homeschooling now Mohammed was homeschooled from the age of 12 to the age of 18 so he actually did pretty much the entirety of high school at home and the first thing I wanted to ask him was who'd actually landed the responsibility of doing that teaching the common misconception is that um, either my mom taught me or I had a tutor coming over to my house to teach me every day. But the fact of the matter is that I taught myself. So the system that I was following was designed in such a way that I could basically follow the whole syllabus or the whole curriculum on my own. And it was very sort of easy to follow in terms of readings being assigned, assignments being assigned, um, even in terms of experiments. I remember the school once sent us a frog that we had to dissect for a science class so it was very sort of self-explanatory in terms of following the whole curriculum. And that was, that was how I was taught. I basically taught myself through that particular system. Now, I thought I had it hard teaching my son during Can you lockdown. imagine having to try and dissect a frog? That just sounds awful. I'm, I'm just wondering what happens when the frog turns up at the house. Do you think it's frozen and you have to defrost it? I I genuinely, I I don't even want to think about it, but yeah, it's a no from me. Now, one of the most obvious questions, I guess, levelled at people who have been homeschooled is how hard they find it to make friends. And of course, we've just heard from one mum talking about the social aspect that she's found of homeschooling. Now, it sounds as though that was fairly similar to Mo's experience. He says that it wasn't something he struggled with at all. Many people ask me, like, how did you make friends? Aren't you socially awkward because you were homeschooled? I assure you, I am not socially awkward, at least not (laughs) most of the time. But what I think is that school is not the only place where you make friends, right? You have neighbours, you have organised sports, you have your community. And I think The onus is on parents that if you do homeschool your kids, then you should put them in some kind of organized sport or some kind of place where they do get to spend time with kids their age, right? I remember my parents put us into ice hockey here in Dubai. So we'd play at Dubai Mall at 6 a.m. on a Saturday morning. So I made lots of friends there. Um, They put me into cricket, into soccer, all that kind of stuff, stuff that I really enjoyed. And I would make lifelong friends from those activities. So I think the onus really is on parents to make sure that their kids are getting the right amount of interaction with other kids their age if they are homeschooled. But there are definite options out there outside of school. Really interesting there to hear from Mohammed Salaman and his experience of being homeschooled from the age, was it 12 to? 12 to 18. 
my goodness, that is a while. Yeah. Yeah. So we'll hear more from him in the next few minutes. Plus, another of our colleagues is involved in homeschooling. Milani, who is currently controlling me from the control room, one of our studio managers, uh, homeschools her children right here in the UAE. And we'll be hearing from her in the next few minutes. What's interesting is that there's obviously a really impassioned group of homeschoolers here in the UAE because people are getting in touch with us now on the line. This is Eye on Education on the Agenda. With the Royal Grammar School Guildford Dubai, passionate about creating personalised learning experiences to nurture independent and future-ready young people. Hello there, welcome back to The Agenda. We are in the midst of our Eye on Education programme, talking about homeschooling. Really interesting comments coming through on the lines, including this person who's texted in saying, it is interesting that so much of the conversation that happens compares homeschooling to quarantine COVID schooling and what people did during COVID. I think this takes away from the core and essence of what homeschooling truly is. And do you know what? I think I probably agree with you. I think that's fair enough. I think what we all did at the last minute with homeschooling, unprepared, unwilling, was probably entirely different to sort of what we're talking about now. But I think what might have happened for the people who enjoyed it during the pandemic, I think that they realised that it was possibly an option. Now, one person who, of course, was doing this 20 years ago was producer Mohammed Suleiman from The Business Breakfast, also our sports reporter. Producer Jen has been talking to him and finding out a bit about his homeschooling experience. How long did he do it for again? He did it for eight years. So basically the whole of high school. He started homeschooling at 12 and he was homeschooled right through until he went to university. But as we were hearing earlier, when we talk about homeschooling, I think primarily because our experiences were during COVID, we think of it as being quite parentally led. Whereas he was saying he found it very freeing. And I've always wondered that myself, how much freedom it actually offers children and whether it's a good or a bad thing. And for Mo, it seems it was overwhelmingly positive. I learned a lot of discipline from a young age by being homeschooled. There was no one behind me making sure you do your assignment, make sure you submit this test or make sure you complete this experiment. You got to do what you got to do. And I sort of learned that from a very young age that if, if I procrastinate and if I don't sort of finish the assignments that I have to do, I'm just going to leave a whole pile of work for myself to do at the end of the semester or whatever. So sort of staying on top of things, learning that you got to, you know, time yourself. Scheduling is so important. Make sure you do things in the right time and all that kind of stuff. And that sort of helped me in terms of my adult life and uh, in my career. Interesting there that he says it helped out with his career. So given Mo's experience was so overwhelmingly positive, is he planning to homeschool his own children. Let's have a listen. We're not sure yet. We're not, we're not sure whether or not we're going to homeschool them or we're going to send them to traditional school or a hybrid or a bit of both. I think it's a little bit early still, but it, it, it also depends on what kind of kids they end up becoming, right? Um, if, for example, my daughter is very extroverted, really enjoys being around kids her age, really you know feeds off that energy, then I think it would be unfair on us not to send her to a normal school. And I have no major issues with traditional schooling. I don't, I'm not against it. So I wouldn't sort of rule that out completely. But based on the positive experience that I've had as a homeschooler, we definitely give it a shot. But again, I don't think it is for everyone. I think all kids are different. Some kids love going to school. And, and I think that's, that, that's a beautiful thing. 
What I found really interesting chatting to Mo about this was that he felt that being homeschooled had actually really helped in leading him down the career path he's taken. Now, I don't know about you, but for me, deciding to be a journalist was led by all sorts of things that I learned at school, what subjects I was good at. For Mo, he says it almost led from hobbies that he was able to develop precisely because he was homeschooled. I think the best thing for me that I liked was the fact that being homeschooled allowed me to sort of focus and spend my time doing things that I liked and things that I wanted to do. So, for example, when kids my age would be locked up in the classroom for four, five, six hours in a day, I would be on the golf course with my dad playing golf, learning life lessons like patience and perseverance and stuff like that. I think that really helped me sort of grow as a person. I think a lot of learning genuinely happens outside of a classroom. And then also... In terms of shaping what I wanted to do as a career as well, um, I knew from a young age that I that I enjoyed following the news, watching the news, reading articles. So I would spend a lot of time during my day reading articles on the New York Times or watching broadcasts of newscasters that I really liked. And because the system that I was following was very sort of flexible and fluid in terms of structure, I was able to spend hours in a day following the news, reading articles. In fact, sometimes I'd even just go out and cover events for myself and write about them in my blog. Even 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 when I finished my high school, I got into the best school of journalism in Canada with an entry scholarship. So that really helped me to get into that particular school and pursue my career in journalism. Scholarship boy. We're going to be looking at Mohammed <laughs> Suleiman in a slightly different light, aren't we? All of us. He just went out on his own to cover stories. I just love the idea of kind of 15-year-old Mo wandering around Dubai being a reporter. With a mic. And that's how he's, he's really good at golf as well, isn't it? He had lots of time, I guess, to play golf. Interesting. This is Eye on Education on the Agenda. With the Royal Grammar School, Guildford, Dubai. Hello there. Welcome back to the programme. Welcome back to the agenda. Welcome back to Ion Education. Welcome to Milani, who has joined me in the studio. Yes, George Tolly here with you till one. Uh, but I have company. Uh, my lovely studio controller, producer. I don't even know quite how we phrase it, do we? Uh, Milani Regalado has joined me in the studio. And there's a good reason for that, that she's been brought back through the glass into the studio. Uh, and it's because we are continuing to talk about homeschooling. Now, it's our, one of our big topics on the programme today because it is exactly three years, give or take a week or so, since schools in the UAE closed to prevent the spread of COVID-19. Now, distance learning was instantly introduced on March the 8th, and it was originally intended to last two weeks. Instead, it lasted six months, with schools reopening in September, at least in Dubai, a bit later in Abu Dhabi. Now, during that time, schools made the transition to teaching online in a remarkable transferal which basically worked for some pupils and, in my case, utterly failed. It was a complete nightmare. Um, But now all children who attend physical schools in the UAE are back full time. It certainly feels that we have moved into a sort of post-pandemic era. But I'm really interested to find out whether there are any legacy trends, in particular in the field of homeschooling. And and oddly enough, we we spoke to uh, Mark O'Donoghue. Now, he's the CEO of of Inspired Online Schools. They're just one of many companies that have um, students learning 
virtually. They got 70,000 in 100 countries. And he said that since the pandemic, obviously they had a spike, but since then they have seen an increase of 25% of inquiries at least. So there's an indication that homeschooling is remaining popular, that it's, you know, that after the pandemic, there has been a legacy there. Now, the reason why I wanted Milani to come into the studio is because she's a homeschooler. You've got two children, haven't you? And you have and you homeschool them now. How long have you homeschooled them for? For about three years now. Good afternoon, everyone. Good afternoon, Georgia. Yes. Sorry, for long three years now. For three years now. But I call it as homeschooling with a twist. And I'll explain a bit later why I call it that way. At first, my first child, who's nine years old now, he's in grade four, he started in a traditional school. Well, actually, a homeschooling first for a few months, but it was not effective because I was the teacher. And I think, you know, being a working mom, it's so difficult for me. Plus, all the lesson planning, it takes so much time for me, to be very honest. That it was, sounds exhausting. I would never do it for that reason alone. Yes, it was. So I thought maybe it wasn't for me. And that was years ago when he was still in preschool. And then he did traditional schooling in the Philippines for a few months and here in the UAE, in an international school here in Dubai. But then he's not into it. He thought that traditional schooling, um, it takes so much of his hours And he's not the type of kid who will just sit there and just listen for several hours to the teacher in front of him. At first, to be very honest, Georgia, it was very hard for me to accept because I'm a product of a traditional school from preschool up until university. So I was like, should I really homeschool him? Maybe I just need to accept that different kids have different ways of learning. In that case, we started homeschooling him, good thing, with the help of a very good friend who's also an educator by profession. I see. Okay, yes. so there was, a, there was a sort of, yeah, you had, a, you had a leg up, so to speak. And so, and did he settle in? So you started that three years ago, did you say? And he's, and he's just settled in just fine? Yes. In 2020, we started him in homeschooling with the help of a, help of a friend. That's why I call it homeschooling with a twist, because homeschooling, usually, the main teachers are the parents. But for our situation, it's not because, as I've said, I'm a working mom. My Most of my hours are also, you know, outside of home. And then you still need to prepare for the lesson planning, teaching the kids, etc. And all the, you know, school requirements. But that's really interesting because I would have thought that would be more expensive than sending them to a mainstream school. Actually, my kids, they are two. So one is nine years old, who is on grade, uh, at grade four. And my young, uh, younger child is five years old. She's in K5. We call it K5. They are, in, they are enrolled in the U.S. It's a homeschooling provider based in the U.S. But we don't need to print much of the requirements. Of, so mostly online. And we get to choose what books to use and what materials to use. But haven't you effectively got a, a tutor going in with them? And, and normally tutors are more expensive than... Yes, to be very honest, most of our expenses are on the payment for the teacher than on the school itself. That is interesting. Now, I, I, within the sort of homeschooling community, I imagine you sort of meet other families that do it and you stick together because isn't there a concern that the children aren't socialising? I disagree with that because my kids, uh, as you've met them before. I've met them. They seem perfectly normal. Yes, they're very sociable, especially my second child. She's very talkative. She She's loves very people. Chatty. Yes, very chatty, very active. And she has a lot of ideas and she wants to talk and talk and talk. She's very confident as well. Very like, there's much. no sort of shyness with other children. Yes, very much. There, she, she loves meeting friends. She loves meeting a lot of people, even adults. So I don't have any problem with their social skills. But do you worry that... 
they're not meeting enough other children because they're not in school every day? No, not really, because they have regular set of friends, uh, friends, uh, you know, children of friends, old friends from Abu Dhabi, Dubai, and in the Philippines as well, they chat. And at the same time, they have uh, regular activities outside of school. So aside from that, my child is enrolled in Kumon classes for his mathematics, and my daughter is also into piano. So plus, they also do basketball clinic two times a week. So lots of people have been getting in touch with us about homeschooling. Um, Safina says, uh, this is my fourth year homeschooling my children. They're 12 and 9. We absolutely love it. We have a huge homeschooling community and do various activities together, which in her view is superior in many ways than mainstream school. I mean, that is interesting. Do you find that there is a big homeschooling community here in the UAE? Do you know other families who are who are doing it? Yes, there are several families. And actually, I've, as I've uh, discovered from Mohammed, our uh, business breakfast producer, there are a lot of commu- homeschooling communities here, even when he was still studying. And that so there, was, I mean, he's old now. Yeah. He's like 30. <laughs> and he's he's 30, ancient. Right? I mean, that, yes, been, that was like 20 years ago yes, exactly. he started. So what much more during this time, there are a lot. So there are already homeschooling families within the Filipino community and there are also international ones. And I say this in jest and I hope everyone takes it in jest because, you know, Mohammed Salman, he does seem quite normal despite having been homeschooled. And it is a slight, I think it's important to slightly address the elephant in the room that everyone thinks that if you've been homeschooled, then you must be a bit weird. Yes, because of the social skills issue, right? But I I really disagree with that because I think it's how the parents handle it, how the parents manage it. Especially for us, kids are not really allowed into their, uh, you know, to be stuck on their screens, on their TVs for several hours a day. So we have a limit. And most of the time we talk to our kids. So face-to-face interaction is very much important. Very interesting stuff. Do keep your comments coming. And, and please do take my, my comments about homeschooling children in jest. I absolutely didn't mean it. It's just an unusual way of doing things. And I think it is, to a certain extent, what mainstream parents would think when they think of children who are who are homeschooled because you know it, it is quite difficult to step outside the norm sometimes um but really fascinating milani yeah. thank you so much for joining us in the thank studio you, George. and i might need to add but i really believe too that homeschooling is not for everyone interesting yes so it works for your family it works but- for my family with the help of a friend teacher yeah, it wouldn't work for me yes, at all. Yes, but for me alone, I don't think so, to be very honest. I totally understand. Yeah, for me, it would be an absolute nightmare. Just getting them to do their homework. The idea of the entire syllabus being taught in my company or with my discipline sounds like an absolute nightmare. Uh, fascinating stuff, Milani. Thank you so much for joining us. Really good to have you in the studio. Lots of lovely comments coming in on homeschooling, uh, including Ibrahim, who says, I also believe that schools cater mainly to one type of personality or communication style. Those who like to sit down and just listen. Other styles are not compatible and so end up having to do more to to get the same result. Of course, I'm talking about averages here, Ibrahim says. Instead, schools need to change to be more compatible to all types of people. This is Eye on Education on the Agenda. With the Royal Grammar School Guildford Dubai, passionate about creating personalised learning experiences to nurture independent and future-ready young people. Hello there and welcome back to the programme. Now, as we have been reporting over the last week, the cost of private schooling is going up in Dubai and Sharjah in the new academic year. Now, the Emirates School Authority say they took account of inflationary pressures and for the first time in four years, schools will be able to hike their fees 
from 3 to 6%. Now, that really does depend on what your school ranking is, according to the inspections. And if you go down, then you don't get to put your fees up. If you stay the same, you don't get to put your fees up. But if you go up, then you do. And it sort of depends on your ranking as to how much they're allowed to hike their fees. You also do have to go to the educational authority and ask their permission first. Now, speaking on the agenda, as the news broke, Susan Roberts from Which School Advisor said the hike was expected, but that doesn't mean that it'll be welcomed by parents. Parents perhaps have to be pragmatic about it and understand what's been going on economically and, and globally and, and the challenges that will face for a variety of sectors and businesses, including schools. If we do want to continue to have high quality provision in the UAE, if we want it to, to continue to grow, then perhaps this is somewhat inevitable. Meanwhile, school fees aren't the only costs likely to go up for parents. Earlier this week here on the agenda, we spoke to Magnus Mumby. He is General Manager for Food Nation Catering Services, LLC, which currently provides meals for 46 schools in the Emirates. That is likely to go up to 60 come September. This was his views on whether or not he was going to need to put up his prices come September. All other food providers have put their prices up, so I would imagine, yeah, prices in schools will increase. But, I mean, that would be an increase of, say, one beer. We make between 25 and 30,000 meals, snacks, sandwiches and salads a day. So a very small increase of the matter of bills has a huge impact across the board, but it wouldn't be noticed on the ground. Okay, so he doesn't think that we would notice it going up on the ground, so to speak. So even if it was one fill extra, then, you know, actually, to be honest, I probably wouldn't notice that on a day-to-day basis, but it would make a real difference to them and their profit margins. But how about other costs like extracurricular activities? We had a very interesting message in a little bit earlier from Tahir, one of our listeners, who says that he reckons that the increase in school fees is just like a gas price increase. Everything within the school will also go up, be it the canteen prices or the extracurricular activities. Well, that is a topic that we wanted to uh, to put to test. So we invited Joe Terry into the studio. He is the owner of ISM Sports. They offer a wide variety of after-school sports sessions, and they also do fun-filled multi-sports holiday camps. So they'll be building up towards the spring holidays in a couple of weeks, well, a week's time now, I think it is. Joe, lovely to have you in the studio. How are you? I'm very good, thank you. Thank you very much for inviting me. It's lovely to have you with us. Now, let's first of all sort of cast our mind back slightly because, of course, the whole school's landscape was played out against a background of COVID-19 over the last sort of four years or so. How was COVID for you as an extracurricular activity provider? Yeah, it was hard. Um, The government, they sent us an email um, that we couldn't trade so we weren't allowed to actually go out and do what we love to do. So um, it was very hard. It was hard for our parents. It was hard for our customers because we, we weren't allowed to trade. And that, that lasted for about three to four months. And that was uh, an income of zero for that My time. My goodness me. And of course, you still had your staff. You still had your costs. You, and you had to f- freeze everything. I mean, since then, I imagine a lot of people went out of business during that time. But, but obviously, you're still here. Did your business recover? Uh, yeah, we recovered very well. We uh, we recruited. Um, we actually recruited more people than we'd had before because we thought that the way that we're going to come back is come back strong. And then from COVID, uh, yeah, we've actually doubled in size now. Uh, 
from where we were before. So uh, we're doing very well. Well, that is interesting. Do you think that that is a legacy of the pandemic? Do you think that people are more enthusiastic about sporting activities for themselves and for their kids after we were all sort of shut in for six months? Definitely. Um, I think that because we were suffocated a little bit from going outside and um, the kids just, they really wanted to learn, you know, they wanted to get out there, they wanted to socialise with their friends and they weren't allowed to. So now I think the parents see the more importance of actually sports in itself, the social aspect and obviously uh, the enjoyment factor as well, which which we do. Um, so, yeah, it's been, uh, it's been a good uptake since after COVID. I mean, that is, that's great news for you. I have to say, so I, I have my kids doing all sorts of extracurricular activities. It's exhausting for, for me and, and, well, not them, sadly. They, they never seem to be exhausted. Um, but I have to admit, it's quite an expense. Um, and we all know that extracurricular activities here are quite pricey. Um, it would be unfair of me not to ask you, you know, whether you think the pricing is fair considering I've got you here in the studio. Uh, and there's lots of parents who are on the school run right now thinking, yeah, I pay an absolute fortune for my swimming lessons. But then I suppose the argument is they're high quality. Yeah, um, I think that the pricing is um, is on point to the service that we provide. Um, I think that sometimes you can look around and you'll find um, prices that are lower, but the quality is definitely lower as well. So um, sometimes I think that um, other companies might try and charge a little bit more than they should. But um, to be honest, the service that we provide at ISM is really high quality. So um, we can justify definitely our prices. So one of the things that schools say the same, basically, you know, they're like, yes, school fees here in the UAE, they are expensive, but we have overheads. You know, we have to pay our teachers, we have to pay for whatever the sort of the licenses or whatever it is to the KHDA. Uh, you know, we have staff you know, cleaning, security, and then you have to pay for electricity, obviously, which is very expensive here, particularly during the summer with air conditioning. Are your overheads quite considerable as well? Um, yes, uh, that includes visa costs as well for all of our staff. We have to get them visa to be allowed to be into, into the schools. Uh, we've got an office. Um, we've got lots of other costs that we have to do, equipment costs. Um, also, we have to give um, percentages to the schools and sometimes we have to pay for uh, rental uh, agreements with the schools as well. So these are factors that maybe the parent might not see, but these are factors that we have to you know, take in ourselves. Okay, so you see the schools putting their fees up. Uh, this lovely, Our lovely listener, Tahir, reckons that that is going to kick on and we're going to see rises with extracurricular activities. What do you reckon we'll see? Um, it's a tough one. We've got really good relationships with our schools and um, we hope that they're not going to try and increase their percentage for us so then we don't have to put that onto the consumer. Um, we would we would hope that it can stay the same uh, for next year um last year we didn't notice any rise and that's why we stayed the same as the as last year but um if the schools are going to increase our costs then we we will have to increase our costs as well it's really interesting about the synergies there between the extracurricular companies and the schools i hadn't realized that your fortunes were so closely tied in many ways. So I suppose if the KHDA or the Sharjah Education Authority allows the schools to put up their fees, then arguably they won't need to squeeze their other suppliers, one might argue. 
yeah, agreed. Um, and also we have to pay for licenses um, to the government as well, which is um, through our trade license. So uh, we have to do sports council licenses and there's all these other factors that are included. Um, sometimes I think um, you should just be able to sign a form and maybe then carry on with, you know, the activity that we're doing. But over here, everything, even though it's not tax, it's a fee. Um, and it comes across sometimes very high at the start of each ac- academic year. How about Ramadan? How does that affect your business? Um, we are running less in Ramadan um, due to the hours that we can actually uh, run our activities. Some schools are different to others and some schools allow us to run activities straight away after school. Some schools have a little gap in between, um, in between the, the school day finishing and when we can start. Um, overall, um, as a company, I wouldn't, we're probably down about 20%, I would say, um, in that time um, due to uh, maybe the client as well not wanting to um, do the activity or the timings might not suit the parent at that time. It might be after iftar, so they might need to go to iftar instead of coming to the activity. But um, where we are limited with the schools to certain timings, sometimes we can't change either. So it's a bit of give and take maybe sometimes with parents. So you do loads of sports uh, at ITS, ISM. rather. Um, what's, what's the most popular at the moment? Has paddle started to become a big trend? It has. Uh, we've oh, got um, paddle tennis courts at Habtor, um Polo Resort, um, which is um, near to... Um, the IMG um, area, yes. in that area down there. I know it well. Yeah, I've, uh, I've had a tennis lesson there myself. Oh, okay. Yeah, <laughs> yeah we've got two courts there. Um, and yes, it's a thriving sport at the moment, paddle. We've got our own courts and, and we're looking to expand again as well um, in, that, in that area. Um, we've got two areas of the company which I'll say are our biggest, which is football and tennis. We run football in... Uh, in Dubai and we've got tennis across Dubai and Abu Dhabi so they're our main areas of the company. Really interesting to speak to you Joe. thank you very much for coming in and chatting to us about whether or not extracurricular fees are likely to go up I don't think I got a solid like yes it is from you <laughs> more of a, a maybe if the schools squeeze us kind of, kind of vibe but thank you very much for joining us on the radio. That is Joe Terry he is the owner of ISM Sports they offer a variety of after school sports sessions and also they do multi-sport holiday camps. This is Eye on Education on the Agenda With the Royal Grammar School Guildford Dubai passionate about creating personalised learning experiences to nurture independent and future-ready young people. Hello there, welcome back to the programme. Now, schools across the United Arab Emirates are celebrating Global Recycling Day. It actually takes place tomorrow, but I know that lots of the schools here have been getting involved already with a wide range of initiatives from bottle drives to beach cleanups. But one company keen to encourage schools to put their money where their mouth is when it comes to environmental integrity is CAPES. Now, they are an eco-friendly uniform supplier, and I'm delighted to say I'm joined now on their line by their founder and CEO, Matt Benjamin. Matt how are you? Hey, George, I'm good. Thank you. How are you? Very well, indeed. Good to have you on the line. Thank you very much. Now, of course, we have spoken uh, to you in the past about CAPES, but for people who are new to the concept, new to your company, tell me a little bit about the principle behind it. Sure. So um, we founded CAPES to um, solve the sustainability problem within school uniforms. So school uniforms are typically made from virgin plastic, conventional cotton, and they end up going to landfill. 
uh, where they take hundreds of years to decompose and because kids grow so quickly all of those problems are exacerbated um, so what we do is we start with the materials so using um, materials that are less impactful to the environment uh, and then we partner with ethical factories um, that can prove they pay and treat workers fairly and then we calculate the impact of making all of those products and then we offset the, the, the impact of that with a project in Kenya. Um, and then lastly, for every child that we sell a uniform to, we provide a free uniform to a child in need. So it's really about turning a school uniform into a tool for positive environmental and social impact. Now, do you have several schools in the UAE now who get their uniforms from you? And, and have you gone global since we last spoke? Yeah, so um, we do work with um, a couple of schools in the in the UAE. Um, so Arbar School being one of them, and Fair Green being another. Uh, and now we're we're probably a week away from signing up a few more schools. So um, one being in Hong Kong, um, a couple being in Saudi Arabia, uh, and then potentially another one in the UAE as well. Um, and then speaking to some schools in in New York actually as well. So um, it's it is global. They're, they're, Schools are looking for a sustainable solution. It does feel that uh, you're about to sort of be able to ride the sustainable wave in some ways, because I think the focus is going to fall not just on school uniforms, but, you know, fast fashion and the way clothes are produced more widely. Yeah. I think I think that's where the, you know, the next focus will, will fall in, in the global yeah. sort of perspective. Now, we've been talking about rising costs for parents on the programme today and, and for the last week, because, of course, fees in the Emirates are set to rise after a four-year price freeze. Is mm-hmm. the is the truth of it that eco-friendly uniforms are more expensive? No, ah. um, not when you not when you look at the cost of of uniforms in the UAE. Um, so just because of how the market works, the the, the standard uniform, let's say the unsustainable uniform, um, depending on the school, but you know, with the majority, it comes in at the at the same price, just because it's been marked up so much. Um, in regards to the uniforms that are currently there. Yeah, I wanted to talk to you about that because obviously, you know, if, if fees are going to go up between 3 and 6%, we've heard earlier on the programme that school meals are likely to go up. Uh, also, extracurricular activities could increase in price. You know, parents are really going to start feeling the pinch potentially come September, which of course is when the British curriculum schools start. For, for Indian schools, it's, it's even sooner. Why are school uniforms so expensive when we all know that if you're going to do the fast fashion option, I mean, I can buy a pair of sports shorts from Next, or other companies are available, uh, for four quid, which is like 17 dirhams. Yeah. Um, that's, a, that's a good question. Um, there's, a, there's a number of reasons. Um, the way that... Uh, the, the uniform market that the business model works part of it is is due to the fact that um schools in some cases will take a revenue share so that generally means that the supplier is going to also um, push up costs um but then there's just the fact that uh the markup is ridiculously high when it comes to to some suppliers because um for the type of material that is used and where it's made that does the the price doesn't really add up um so i mean we could do a whole um discussion on on that particular topic but um there's a number of market forces which which make the price unrealistic in some cases
Interesting stuff. I have to say, uh, on the parents' WhatsApp groups, at least at my school, it's a real bugbear, the cost of the uniforms. And frankly, the quality of the uniforms. I think I've never really thought about quality of clothes in the past, but when the children are wearing it every day and it's getting washed every single day, you really notice yeah. things like the, like the logo fades, the colour of the logo right. fades. Um, right. It's just very disappointing when you spent... I mean, literally an absolute fortune, like 200 dirhams or something on a shirt. It's ridiculous. Right. Yeah. Um, and it's markup, it's, it's you say. It's markup, you say. It's markup. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm increasingly angry at the word markup. <laughs> oh. um, it's, uh, it, it's, a, it's a challenge. You know, you're trying to, like for us, we're trying to balance having sustainable materials, but still, still trying to make them durable. And a natural material is naturally less durable than a synthetic material. So it's looking at, okay, how can we combine the two and use recycled synthetics, but then max, mix it with natural fibers to, to, to reduce the impact, but then also, uh, you know, make it, make it durable. Um, so it's not, it's not, it's not a simple, um, it's not a simple fix, but uh, it's something that we're working on. Really interesting stuff there. Fantastic to speak to somebody who is willing to innovate in such an old-fashioned market as, as school uniforms. Uh, really lovely to have you on the radio again. Matt Benjamin there, founder and CEO of the school uniform company, the environmentally friendly school uniform company, Capes. Really fab to have you join us on the line here on Eye on Education on the Agenda on Dubai Eye 103.8. This is Eye on Education on the Agenda. With the Royal Grammar School Guildford Dubai, passionate about creating personalised learning experiences to nurture independent and future-ready young people. Yes, welcome back to Ion Education. Georgia here with you till one. Now it is time for us to meet a man looking to do something extraordinary because Harry Amos is one of a four-man crew embarking on a 4,800-kilometre row across the Pacific Ocean in support of Blue and Invictus. Also on the boat is Paris Norris, who you might know from the Guy in Dubai adventure series. And the Brothers and Oars team don't have long to go now, but they've been using the last few months to train and visit schools as part of their outreach programme to inspire students. Lovely to have Harry join us on the line. And if you are watching on Facebook, which you can because we are live on Facebook, you might be able to see a boat in the background. Hi, Harry. How are you doing? Hey, Georgia. I'm very well, thank you. That's, how are you doing? I'm very well indeed. That is the boat, isn't it? That's the boat. We were going to be on the boat um, for this, but actually I think it's better because you see it in all its glory behind us, um, our Rannoch 45, seven and a half metre ocean rowboats. Have you had to delay your 24-hour row because it's very windy out there? It is a consideration, but we're actually quite excited about the wind um, because the the problem with training in Dubai is that the weather's too good. And as you can imagine, the weather we're going to be facing on the Pacific Ocean is uh, pretty serious. So a little bit of wind um, is, is good for uh, the last bit of training uh, while we're in Dubai. OK, talk me through what you're going to face out there. So uh, we are leaving from a place called Monterey Bay in California, uh, straight out onto the Pacific Ocean, heading west. Um, we're going to be taking on some pretty big waves um, and seeing lots of wildlife. And we're going to be rowing as a four-man crew, uh, 4,800 kilometers, give or take, uh, to Kauai, which is actually the, the last island on the island chain, um, 
So we go past Hawaii, main island and Honolulu. And we've actually got about four days of seeing land before we get to the last um, island. Um, it'll take us about six weeks. Um, we're carrying everything with us. So all of our food supplies, in fact, we're carrying three months worth of food supplies, um, just in case we take a bit longer than we planned. Um, we make all of our own water with our water maker. Um, we carry huge amounts of spares and equipment and, and, and navigation gear and, and radio and, and satellite equipment as well. So we're completely on our own. Why are you doing it? I know that sounds like a silly... No, it doesn't sound like a silly question. It sounds like an eminently sensible question. What you are doing is unusual, not the question. Well, I'll tell you what, I have a few personal reasons, but Paris, Paris may, may want to take this one. Sure. Well, I mean, as you know from my, my show, Doing Adventures, uh, going on this type of adventure is not just something that uh, uh, I love to do, but, you know, me and my pals, we, we love this. And so uh, for us, it is a way for us to kind of get out into an experience that is out of our normal zone and, and try something different. We're going to be on the same route as six whale migrations there's going to be dolphins galore the best sunsets and sunrises we'll ever see in our lives the clearest night sky of stars we'll ever get to see because we're so remote that we're actually closer to the astronauts on the international space station than we are to even the nearest shipping lane so this uh, kind of experience is something that you just can't experience in normal life and uh, whilst it is definitely daunting and there are some risks we enjoy the process of uh, trying to train ourselves in order to mitigate those risks and, uh, and take on this challenge. And you've been doing a schools program to inspire pupils, haven't you? I've got about a minute left with you. How has that worked out? What, what, what's, you, do you take the boat, you go and talk them through your trip? I actually took the boat to my uh, kids' nursery yesterday and they absolutely loved it, clamouring all over it. With the slightly older kids, and actually we've been doing stuff with the Overlord Academy, which is this sort of cadets uh, organisation which which aligns with all the all the schools here in Dubai. And they're a sort of a adventure cadet organisation, so they've really loved hearing about um, the adventure, but also the key lessons learned um, about administering yourself under stress and fixing your wounds and, and eating enough food and all the things that uh, these cadets uh, will apply and, you know, life lessons as well. So it's been really great and well received by these schools. Uh, when do you leave? We So the boat leaves on Monday to get to California. It'll take about three months. We follow it at the end of May and then we set off on the expedition uh, mid-June um, uh, from Monterey Bay, as I said. Well, we will be tracking you here on the agenda. Fantastic to speak to both of you there. Thank you very much, Harry Amos and Paris Norris, uh, two of the people of that four-man crew who will be embarking on a 4,800-kilometre row across the Pacific Ocean. An extraordinary mission. Bizarre. Bizarre. I would never do it. Uh, But congratulations to both of you. I hope your training is going well. And that's all from the Eye on Education podcast for this week. Make sure you tune in every Friday from 11am to catch up on the latest education headlines.